Thank you, Corey, Mary, Michael, Matthew, and all who are serving our children today. Children's Church is open, and so uh, most of you have already taken your little ones there. And for the rest of us, if you have a Bible, go ahead and point your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're new, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my honor and privilege to be with you again in 2 Corinthians. We work through books of the Bible a little bit at a time here. And we've made our way in 2 Corinthians to chapter 4 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off last Lord's Day in verse 13. And we're going to read to the end of chapter 4 today. Happy Mother's Day again to you all. And I can't think of a better way to celebrate motherhood except by talking about suffering. Which is what we're going to be doing for the next 45 minutes or so. So if you would uh, direct your attention to verse 13, I'll have it behind me here as we read. This is the word of the Lord. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray together. Lord and Father, I thank you for the time that we had as a congregation to sing. Thank you that we are a singing people. And the singing is so much a part of what we get to do every week. Thank you, Lord, that as you carry us through difficult weeks, you gather us into the church. Where we worship the Lord, where we remind one another and remind ourselves that God is faithful. That God is good. And that whatever comes our way, we are never left alone. We have you. We have your spirit. We have your word. And we have brothers and sisters whom we can count on, whom count on us who are there to encourage us, 
And we're there to strengthen us. We're there to lift us up when we fall down. To encourage us when we're discouraged. I pray that you would use this service this morning, even this message this morning, to deepen our trust and our appreciation. And to give us new insights into the excellencies of Christ, even as we talk about suffering. For Jesus' sake, amen. There's an old story told about the first missionaries to Congo. It was first told by a Congolese man during the 100-year anniversary celebration of that mission. It was an all-day event, this celebration, and at the end of the day, an old man stood up to speak. I am an old man, he said. Soon I will die. But there's something I know that I want to share with you all. When the missionaries first came to us, we thought them odd and their message suspicious. So to test them, we decided to slowly poison them. And over the course of months and years, they got sick. Some of their spouses died. Some of their children died. And yet they stayed and kept telling us about this Jesus. And then the old man added, It was as we watched how they died that we knew their message was true, that they had nothing to be gained by us, and we decided that we too wanted to live for this Jesus. We've been learning from 2 Corinthians that weakness is the way of the kingdom. Weakness is no hindrance to Christian ministry, rather it is a prerequisite for Christian ministry. We've been learning that suffering as a Christian is no anomaly. Rather, it is one way that God shows the surpassing power of Christian ministry belongs to Him and not to us. We found in the pages of 2 Corinthians that it is the revealed will of God to bring His people through affliction in order to deepen their dependence on Him, to wean them off of self-reliance, and to shine the unfiltered light of the gospel to others. We've learned that God may not always deliver us out of affliction, but more often He sustains us through affliction. And this is for our good, and this is for His glory. And he uses it to accomplish his mission. Well, in many ways, this cuts across the grain, doesn't it? I mean, how many of us last week liked reading the sentence that we, Christians, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake? How is that good news? Yet it's in the Bible, and so we must square with it. And I fear that if, of all the generations of Christian history, 
ours may be the least equipped to deal with suffering. At least in the West, at least in the developed part of the world. Yet suffering has always been a part of the Christian experience. Not that it was ever easy, just that it's always been a part of our story. And instead of running from it, Christians have always just stood in it. God regularly uses suffering for His people's good. Often He brings us into afflictions in order to adjust our affections. Jesus warned us of the danger of worry, love of money, rogue desires that are dangerous to our souls. And so affliction has a way of reminding us that this world is not our home. It teaches us to hold on to the things of this life with open hands. In order to treasure Christ above all things, in order to see life as it truly is, we're often required to lessen the priority that we place on things like ease, comfort, health, career, even in some ways, family. This passage serves us well in the way that we should think about Christian suffering. And so I should say that if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm very glad that you're here and I hope that you feel welcome as you've come here. And that you never have to become a Christian in order to be welcomed here. But just about everything that I'm about to say in the next 40 minutes is really not applicable to your life at all. But at the end of the service, if you decide that you would like to become a Christian, come and see me after. And I'd love to talk to you about that and give you some resources about how to have your sins forgiven and how to surrender your life to Jesus. And then everything I'm about to say has tremendous relevance to your life. Here's the big idea this morning. You can see this on the back side of your worship guide. Suffering for the gospel is worth it. Since God uses our suffering to extend grace to others and to produce eternal glory in us. Suffering for the gospel is worth it. Since God uses our suffering to advance the gospel, extend it to others, but then also produce eternal glory in us. This passage can be divided into five parts, about five ways where we can suffer well as we follow Jesus. Five ways we suffer well as we follow Jesus. The first way comes in verse 13. So let's have a look there again. Paul says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, the first way we suffer well is by clinging to God's word. By clinging to God's word. Next, the apostle quotes from Psalm 116, which is why we used it in our call to worship this morning. In Psalm 116, the psalmist, it seems, is going through some great difficulty in his life. And so Paul draws from that scripture. Here he writes, since we have the same spirit of faith. This is useful for all of us to see. Paul is comforting his own soul during his own affliction by turning to the Bible according to what has been written. 
And there in God's word, he reads that his affliction is not unique to him or his unique place in history. Suffering, on the other hand, has been shared by God's people since the beginning. We all have the same spirit of faith. We all have the same promises from God. We all have the same God leading us. We all have the same hope from God. So dear Christian, whatever suffering the Lord has for you now, suffer well by clinging to the Bible. The Psalms are your constant companion as you suffer. The Psalms are a rich storehouse of gospel hope for your weary soul. Meditate on the Psalms daily. Add them to your daily reading. I recommend reading one psalm over and over and over again for a week. Reading it slowly, reading it out loud, feeling the emotions inside the psalm. Let the language of the psalms color your prayer life, your emotional life. The psalms will help you to think and pray about difficulty more biblically. And remember, the psalms are songs. Sadly, modern evangelicalism has almost entirely left behind the great songs of lament that have enriched previous generations. We need to sing songs of lament. We need songwriters who will explore the deep wells of the psalms, tap them, for modern congregational singing. I'm thankful for Corey and Mary who take seriously the theology behind the things that we sing on Sunday. I want you to know that those songs that we sing, they've been prayed over, thought through, even argued about, just to make sure that they're biblical. And we're very thankful for the Lord providing you too to us. Here's the point. Suffer well by clinging to the Bible. When the Lord brings you into affliction, whether it's poor health or relational difficulty or financial ruin or some kind of suffering with sin, run with all of your might to God's Word. And there you will find God revealing Himself to you. You will find Him who is your refuge. You will find Him who is your strong defense, your safe place. Suffer well by clinging to the Bible. Number two, we suffer well by speaking God's truth. So Paul, as I said, is quoting from Psalm 116 here, and he borrows the phrase there, and he says, I believed and so I spoke. He says, we also believed, and so we also speak. The full quote that Paul borrows from in Psalm 116 goes, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. When we suffer for the sake of the gospel, there is a tendency to let those sufferings close our mouths. Now, in one sense, suffering should close our mouth. Before we offer a complaint to God, we ought to close our mouth. 
We ought to remember that we are the Lord's servants, that he has purchased us with the blood of his son, that he has every right to spend our lives however he chooses. But suffering should not close our mouths to the preaching of the gospel. We should go on speaking. We should go on speaking the gospel first to ourselves. When you're suffering, preach the gospel to yourself. Be honest about how you're feeling. Like the psalmist, offer your concerns to the Lord. Be honest about your emotions and speak the gospel with faith. I believed, the psalmist says, even when I was under great affliction. This reminds me of a phrase Job used under his heavy hand of suffering when he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In suffering, go on speaking the gospel to yourself and go on speaking the gospel to others. Telling others of the wonderful hope that you have in Jesus, that God has not abandoned you in your suffering. Not at all. In fact, just the opposite, that God is with you in your suffering. He's sustaining you through it. He's given you faith to believe in Him. He's given you strength to endure your suffering. And then your suffering becomes a part of your message. Suffering has a good effect on how we speak. Suffering has a way of rounding off the edges, making us less harsh, impatient. Suffering has a way of making our expectations more realistic than idealistic. Romans 5 says, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. The Christian sufferer speaks slower, softer, but clearer. Like her, like Paul, her heart has been tenderized in the brine of affliction. She's walked the uneven terrain of the already but not yet kingdom. She speaks more sensibly, with greater sensitivity, with deeper wisdom. Suffer well, speaking God's truth. Third, we suffer well by trusting in God's promises. This is verses 14 and 15. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Knowing that God raised Jesus from the dead, knowing that we are in Jesus, knowing that God raised us with Jesus, and knowing that you will be with us when He brings us all into His presence. So important is knowing to the emotional life of a sufferer. So important is knowing to the emotional life of a sufferer. You see, what we believe about God determines how we respond to suffering. Show me how a person suffers, 
And I will show you that person's theology. So the psalmist laments in Psalm 116, which we read at the opening, that death has surrounded him, that the grave has laid its hand on him, that he is in anguish. And so then he said, as Matt read, he called upon the name of the Lord. But then I would direct your attention from that psalm to what he says in verses 5 to 7, after he cries out to the Lord. Here's what he says. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. This is who the psalmist believes God to be. Gracious, righteous, merciful, a preserver, a savior, a bountiful God. When you're suffering, Cornerstone, call on the name of the Lord. Remind your forgetful soul who your God is. My friend Brandy has a habit when she's going through times of suffering, of praying through the storyline of Scripture. In her prayers, she's reminding herself. She takes it all the way from creation to the cross, into glory, the whole storyline of Scripture, reminding herself who God is and what God has done. Well, I, I think that's good practice when you're suffering. That seems to be what Paul is doing here. We know that God raised Jesus. We're trusting that we are in Jesus and that God will raise us too with Jesus. And he'll bring us with you into Jesus' presence. Even if affliction takes your life, go with joy. To live is Christ and to die is gain. We see again in verse 18, we'll get there in a few minutes, that suffering well means looking away from affliction looking away from your afflictor and looking toward heaven, looking toward your deliverer. Rejoice that every day you suffer, it puts you that much more closer to your eternal joy. But that's not the only reason to rejoice in suffering. Paul goes on here and he says, it's all for your sake in verse 15. You remember from the last passage last week, it's death in us, but life in you. As God enables us to share the gospel through affliction, more and more people hear the message. And God brings more and more people to faith. And more and more people thank God. And God is glorified all the more. And once again, we see the cross of Christ is not just about saving us. It's also about sending us. The good news was meant to be received by us, but then it was also meant to be delivered to others. Whatever the truth of God is, whether it's preached or sung, is never meant to just end with you. It's meant to flow through you to others. 
Even our suffering, we learn, is not about us. How easy it is for us to close off and to collapse in during suffering. But can you see that when we do that, it's not just bad for us, but it also withholds thanksgiving to God that He deserves as others watch us endure with the Lord's strength. We saw this back in chapter 1, verse 11. The apostles is asking the Corinthian church to pray for him. Here's what he says. You also, Corinthians, must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. My dear fellow Americans, how we must divorce ourselves from the individualistic, chest-pounding, I've got this, I think I can, I think I can mentality. It plagues us. Your affliction is not just about you. There is grace that God intends to extend to others through your joy-filled, trust-empowered witness. Many will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. When we suffer alone, we withhold praise from God that He deserves from others seeing Him sustain you. So suffer well, trusting in God's power and His promises. As you do, he will sustain you. and We will see Him sustain you. And then we will thank God for it. And then we will remember the way that God sustained you when it comes time for us to endure affliction. And we'll remember, I remember when God took care of her. I remember praying for that thing and now I see the Lord answer that prayer. And so that when I go into suffering myself, I can remember all that God has done for my church family. And I can trust Him just like you trusted Him. And I can thank Him for the ways in which He has sustained you. I just wonder whether or not our view of suffering is just too small. So we suffer well by clinging to God's word. We suffer well by speaking God's truth. We suffer well by believing in God's promises. And then fourthly, we suffer well by submitting to God's renewal. That's verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We suffer well when we submit to the Spirit's work of renewing our inner self. Well, I was only half joking earlier when I said that Mother's Day is the perfect day to talk about suffering. Because in many ways, motherhood is marked by suffering. That's not just anecdotal, that's biblical. Don't forget the effects of sin on the first mother. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 to the woman, God said, I will surely multiply, multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Jesus' own mother was told that she would suffer. 
Behold, this child, this Jesus, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Luke chapter 2. Mothers suffer when they bring children into this world. And they suffer when they raise children in this world. They suffer when their children get older. When their children need them less. They suffer when their children leave home. On Tuesday night, I watched mothers and grandmothers crying because their children were singing at their last choir concert. Mothers also suffer when their children are fools. Proverbs says, a foolish son is a grief to his mother. How many mothers in this very room have children who have played the fool? Who have turned from God. And you've suffered. And yet you have not given up hope. They've run. And you've prayed. And hope has filled your broken heart. We all have much to learn. From the hearty, hoped, hope-filled suffering of mothers. And like them, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is getting renewed every day. Paul is referring to the outer self, the part of the self that belongs to this world, the part of yourself which is temporary, the part of yourself which is wasting away. By wasting away, he means getting old. The part of you that's getting flabby and saggy and dying. that part of you. But as Christians, we don't lose heart, even when our outer self is wasting away, because as we submit to God's Holy Spirit, we are being renewed in the inner man every day. Even as our physical body ages, our spiritual life is constantly being transformed from one degree of glory to another. I've said it before that Christians should age differently. They should think about aging differently. I continue to be amazed when I hear Christians speaking about getting old with really only one note. I've got this pain. I've got this ailment. I've got this inability. Now I've got this impediment. But Christians have an entire symphony of speech about aging. Though the outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. Sure, I don't mind hearing about your pains and ailments and inabilities and impediments. I'll tell you some of my own. But don't forget the refrain of the Christian life, which is that you're getting glory and tenderness and pleasures from God and joy and thank the Lord wisdom as you age. Tell me of the books of the Bible that you've read. Tell me about books about the Bible that you've read. Tell me about the passages of the Bible that you've memorized. 
Friend, as you reach 50, 60, 70 years in the Lord, you become an encyclopedia of stories of all the ways that the Lord has answered your prayers, forgiven your sin, sustained you in suffering, restored your marriage, been joy to you in trials, held your hand during heartbreak, used you to bring someone to faith, fulfilled you in your singleness, protected your heart even during a church split, and 10,000 other stories of the Lord's faithfulness. It's your inner self being renewed daily. As the saying goes, there may be snow on the roof, but there's fire in the furnace. Well, that brings us to the fifth and final way we suffer well. We suffer well by looking to God's eternity. Two verses to finish our time together. Verses 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We suffer well when we look to the unseen, forever glory that we will have with God. Did you notice the apostles' use of contrasts? Light, momentary, affliction. Eternal, weight, glory. Seen, unseen, temporary, eternal. Well, why do you suppose that is? Do you think Paul might be pulling us away from one, calling us to look at the other? Paul might be here drawing us away from holding so tightly to the things of this world by lifting our eyes to the things that come next. Now, I want to say a word about that phrase, Paul's phrase, light, momentary affliction. I don't take Paul to mean here that affliction is easy. After all, he opened up this letter by saying, we thought that we were going to die. We thought that we had received the sentence of death. So I don't think Paul is saying that as you suffer, you just need to get over it because it's really actually easy. You think it's hard but it's actually easy. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what Paul is saying here is that he's drawing us out of ourselves and into God's eternal reality. He's not saying that your affliction is light and momentary as much as he's saying that compared to the eternal weight of glory, it is. Following Jesus in this sin-wrecked world is hard, and the problems we encounter are big. But compared to what we will have and what we will know in a hundred billion years from now, well, it, it'll seem small. One of the great pleasures of parenting is being around for the, all of the little reasons why toddlers throw fits. 
There's a whole family of memes about this. My wife was showing me the other day. So they'll picture a toddler throwing a fit, bawling on the floor or something, and then they'll give you the reasons why. So the little girl found out that Darth Vader was a bad guy and threw a fit. The little boy didn't want to go, even though we told him that we weren't going anywhere. Mom wanted to put my used diaper in the trash. I dropped the receipt we got from the gas station. With Ethan, it was things like he wanted ketchup from the other bottle. Or his taco broke apart when he bit into it, and now everything's on his plate. Or the ice cream is cold. With Ethan, it was always about food for some reason. But these are funny to us as adults because we see with bigger eyes, and we know that throwing fits over silly little things is just silly. Now, not to make light of suffering, but I just wonder if a few days into glory, whether or not we might look back and God make little memes of our life, throwing a fit because I didn't have the right tool to fix the car, or because I have so many dandelions in my front yard, or because I can't remember why I laid my sunglasses and now I'm throwing a fit, or I'm throwing a fit because of the tone of voice that she struck with me. Well, we all know We would suffer well when we follow the apostles' instructions by seeing our afflictions by the way that God sees them, with the eyes of eternity. Not to make that, not not to infer that our suffering and affliction is silly, like a toddler throwing a fit. It's just that as we look to the eternal, to the unseen things, as we balance them against eternity. They do become light, and they do become momentary. We suffer well when we remember that sufferings matter, that they mean something, that God is using them to produce something in us. That's the right word there, produce. The affliction of your life is a little bit like an assembly line where eternal glory is being made. Afflictions correct your affections so that when you lose face, you learn to care more about what God thinks than what man thinks. And the result is glory. So you're confronted with sin in your life and you learn to be repentant. And the result is glory in your life. You get taken advantage of and you learn to love. And the result is glory in your life. Your idea gets shot down. Your pride dies and you learn patience. And the result is glory in your life. You find out that harsh words only make the matter worse and you learn gentleness. And the result is glory in your life. In the factory of affliction, your affections are adjusted and glory is made. For some of us here, our afflictions don't feel light and momentary. They feel rather long and heavy. And so we must train our eyes to see what is unseen 
to dwell on things that are not of this world, but things of the next. To understand that the Lord's hand may be heavy, but it is never cruel. To live day by day in one word in verse 17, preparing. Somehow or another, this suffering is preparing you, producing in you that eternal weight of glory. When you look up that word in a Bible dictionary, you'll find that it means achieving, accomplishing, bringing about, creating. It means that God is using it to create that eternal weight of glory to give to you. And the only way to bring that about is to bring you through affliction. It means that He's doing this for your good and for His glory. So suffer well by clinging to God's Word, speaking God's truth, trusting in God's promises, submitting to God's renewal, and looking to God's eternity. Suffering for the gospel is worth it because He will use it to extend grace to others and produce glory in you. Please stand for the prayer of confession. Towards the end of our services, we take a moment and go before the Lord and we confess our sins to Him. He has revealed our need for Him in this passage, and so we go to Him with humble hearts to ask Him to forgive us of all of the ways that we have failed to walk out this passage in the way we should. So if you would, pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, You are our infinitely wise God. Your Word is perfect. It is a light to us in the darkness. Your promises are guaranteed, sealed, and delivered to us by the resurrection of Jesus. And your love for us is overwhelming. Who are we that you would be mindful of us? Lord, what reason have we given you to act toward us with such mercy-laden kindness? We are undeserving and ill-deserving creatures. And you have loosed us from the bondage of sin and judgment. We thank you for saving us. Lord, we confess that we have misunderstood, misread affliction. We confess to running from it rather than standing under it. We've sought to define for you all the ways that you should act toward us. Will you forgive us? We are short-sighted and self-absorbed people. If it does not please us, we want no part of it. But Lord, we are your servants. Our lives are not our own. They were bought by you, the blood of your Son. And so we admit that you have every right to spend our lives any way you choose. We know that you are good and that you do not wish us ill. So whatever affliction you bring us into is for our good. Help us to submit to you. Lord, will you send your Spirit to work through your Word to reframe a suffering for us? Will you teach us to cling to your word and trust in your promises? 
to exalt in gospel hope? Will you teach us to look away from ourselves and to look to heaven and to look to one another? Will you help us to see the way that you use afflictions for the good of your church and for the building up of our brothers and sisters? We praise you, Father. You are a good God who disciplines us for our good. For we know that the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And it is discipline that we have to endure. But we know that you're just treating us as if we were your children. Though in the moment it seems painful, we know that it will yield for us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Thank you for being so kind as to care so much for us. May you receive the praise you deserve from our lives. All for Jesus' sake.